Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. I'm beginning this episode with a quote from my guests. Spooky things happen every day all around us. Instead of brushing these peculiar moments and bizarre encounters off as chance or mere coincidence, what if we talked about them, mapped them and tried to decode the message? Well, that's what Garrett Kelly and Jeremy Puma have done with the Liminal Earth Project, which they describe as a map of the strange, wonderful, unusual and unexpected. They both have a background in researching and investigating the paranormal, and this led them to come up with the idea of putting their experiences on a map and then opening that up to the general public, allowing the project to be crowdsourced. Experiences can be recorded on the map under a wide range of categories, including ghosts, cryptids and UFOs, but also more unusual subjects like dark forces, time distortions and thin places. It's a really novel idea, and it's one which I think has amazing potential. As soon as I discovered the map, I knew I should get these guys on and discuss their adventures in liminal cartography. This episode was probably my biggest challenge yet, in terms of editing, mostly because I had two guests on instead of the usual one. But Garrett and Jeremy were great to talk to, and I think that we still have a really good show. So, without further ado, enjoy! Jeremy and Garrett, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, you guys do the Liminal Earth project. To start off with, tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got interested in the paranormal and and then what led to the project uh anyway garrett you want to you want to go first or um sure so back in early 2000s uh jeremy and myself were bloggers in the seattle area and uh we're blogging about paranormal stuff at the time um and it was kind of like that heyday of the blogging era and Strangely enough, Jeremy and I have been communicating, uh, you know, in comment threads and um, just talking about stuff. And he realized that I lived in Seattle. And so we um, decided to meet up and we've come to find out we've been talking for uh, a couple of, a year yeah, or two. A couple of years. Yeah. But we lived across the street from each other and had no idea. <laughs> uh, so like we've been huddled behind our computers that whole time, like furiously typing away on the computer and we were uh neighbors so uh yeah so we've been talking online mostly online even you know the last 15 years and uh kind of following this paranormal thread the whole time cool and so when you guys were putting stuff on blogs what was it that you were blogging about was there anything specifically that sort of led to to this project or is it just is it seattle based stuff or or just things in general well you know what I think back then um, there was there were more like most bloggers were like more dilettantes, I think. So, you know, there were less thematic blogs at the time. I think I was doing like politics. But this was during the, you know, George Bush, the second era. Um, and uh, I was doing politics and paranormal and conspiracies. And I was also um, hi- highly involved at the time in Gnosticism um, Philip K. Dick. So just this sort of mishmash of subjects that, you know, all kind of connected together. Um, but the paranormal thread was always there for sure. 
I noticed on the map the majority of, of accounts are from that area. Are they from people that you're, you're friends with? Is a, did they form the sort of the, the nucleus of those sightings in Seattle? I, I, well, at first, Jeremy and I, you know, for the last, and our friend Tim, we, we've been kind of collecting like our dreams and like strange experiences that had happened to us. You know, as they happened, we like, kept this thing called, we called the um, Hypogeum Tracker. Um, okay. And we just put in, we we made our own little internal database to kind of keep track of that stuff. And then we're like, let's start, what if we start putting this stuff on a map, like of where it happens? So, yeah. So we, we made like a little map for ourselves. And then I was like, hey, you know, maybe I'll just post this on Facebook and maybe some other people have some weird experiences. And we li- both live in Seattle and it just it exploded. People it blew just... Up. Yeah, we had no idea. Like, I thought a couple people would post some things, but it just, yeah, like the Seattle Times reached out to us. It just got big all of a sudden, and it was just like a little pet project they were doing. So that's why it's so concentrated in Seattle, and, you know, it's just like our, you know, extended radius of people that live around here. But then, but all the entries, I mean, not all the entries are um, people we know. In fact, probably most of them are from people that we don't know. Um, and, you know, after about, I don't know, six months, eight months, something like that, we decided to open it up to the whole earth. Mm. That's why, you know, so it was this progression that we started it in Seattle and that's why there's this big chunk in the Pacific Northwest, but we're kind of slowly accumulating stories from other places. Um, you know, we got some from the East coast, um, Tennessee, Texas, Florida, uh, and then we're getting some from other countries. So Brazil and Chile and, uh, Wales and uh, South Africa and Australia. So um, we want them from everywhere. We want them. We want to fill. We want the whole map to be as dense as Seattle is eventually. <laughs> Brilliant. So, so if somebody wants to note an encounter that they've had, there's there are several categories that they can choose from, aren't there? I, I like the categories that you guys have put together. There's about ten, isn't there? Dark forces, uh, time distortions, mythologies, cryptoids. Thin places, straight up ghosts, high weirdness, classic UFO. I think you guys did a really good job of covering pretty much the whole spectrum of, of weirdness there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and of course the lines between some of them are blurry, so people yeah. can select more than one. And you know, uh, you know, what's a, if, if there's somebody sees a ghost and it's not very nice, then it's maybe it's also dark forces or. You know, is a, 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 a spectral dog is maybe a maybe a strange animal. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we encourage people to, to, to click as many categories as they feel uh, is appropriate. Cool. And um, of those categories, is there one there that, that you find that people report more than the others? I mean, where you are, for example, is there is there something that people tend to report more than any of the other categories? Probably ghosts. I mean, I, I just think it's kind of the mm-hmm. nature of the game. You know, people who are into the paranormal, um, you know, I think that more people likely experience things that they consider ghosts or hauntings, just because those can kind of happen anywhere. Whereas, you know, if you want to see a cryptid, those tend to to be, you have to kind of go outside sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Although not in the case of the giant shrimp in the laundry room, you just need to go down to the basement. Yes, we should talk about that. Actually, that the the mascot of the project is a large shrimp. Do you just want to right. talk about right. him for a little bit? 
<clears throat> yeah. Um, so I moved to a little town called Bremerton that you have to take a ferry from Seattle to get to. It's a little Navy town. And when I was, and I moved about a year ago when this map was starting, and Jeremy started looking up, well, what are the monsters in Bremerton? And he found this story about um, a woman in Bremerton in 1948 who said she went down into her basement to do the laundry and she saw a giant shrimp that was like um, adult human size and had a, it was orange and it had tentacles. Um, and it totally freaked her out. So I've, since I've moved here, I've been trying to find where this happened and, um, track down her relatives cause she's passed away, um, to interview if, you know, grandma Virginia ever talked about the giant shrimp with her. It was in this issue of a strange magazine from the nineties. So yeah. And it's become kind of our mascot because I think it, it kind of represents, you know, we're interested in you know, ghost stories and UFO stories, but things that are, you know, run the gamut and things that are especially weird is kind of like what we're most uh, fascinated with, I think. Yeah, I think shrimp, we call him shrimpy. And uh, <laughs> I think he kind of, he kind of um, encapsulates our, our, our approach to this, which is, you know, freaky and yet whimsical. Like we want, right. you know, we, we don't want to be the guys who are taking everything so seriously. Um, you know, we, we, we want to, you know, obviously take people's reports seriously and, and honor that, but we also want to see, uh, you know, that this stuff is, is fun. It can be really fun and, um, it's fun and, and fantastical and whimsical and, you know, a giant shrimp in a laundry room, I think kind of, kind of encapsulates that, that idea. <laughs> I've been really, I got a shrimp costume and I've been going around town here really trying to convince Bremerton that they should make this like their mascot right and uh, and there's even a state senator who lives here in Bremerton and she has a bill in the Washington state legislature to make Bigfoot the state cryptid and so I've been lobbying hard against that and I'm saying <laughs> you live in Bremerton you need to make shrimpy like you know this should be who you should be promoting so I've been campaigning and uh, yeah, it's been real fun and I'm trying to make, you know, there's a lot of people who have, like been doing like shrimp murals and stuff around town. So it's like becoming a thing. I'm really excited about it. Uh, that like is becoming, I, I'm hoping becoming more of a part of the identity of this place. No, that sounds great. The more that people are interested, do you find that you're getting more information about that original, that original encounter? Yeah, I actually re I found uh, like uh, her um, nephew, uh, step nephew, and so I've been. He's looking for pictures of her and uh, help, trying to help me, you know, research. And it's really, you know, to cold call someone and be like, "Hey, I think your aunt maybe saw a giant shrimp once," and you know, <laughs> it's kind of a weird conversation to start, but. Uh, it's been, you know, people have been really receptive and it's, it's just like a fun story to like try to unravel. So. No, definitely. I, I've never heard of anything quite like that before. So it's definitely worth promoting. It's yeah. And I'm guessing that would be in the high weirdness category or would it be a cryptoid? Or oh, I guess it could be both. Couldn't it? So. <laughs> yeah. It's a little both. Yeah. yeah a little, <laughs> little column A, a little column B. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in, with some of the, with each category, there's, there's a little bit more of a breakdown of what could be included. And with some of those kind of subheaders of the main subjects, I'm, I'm wondering if, are they 
based on the stories that people have submitted to you or are they ones that you put there first to allow people to kind of know what to follow their report under we we kind of did that first and a lot of the a lot of the um the content on the site um is is kind of evolving and because you know once we got this big once we made the announcement and all of a sudden we had all this media attention and tons of entries we were like oh gosh we actually have to do do some things so we just kind of mm -hmm. threw a bunch of stuff up there um you know, and and, uh, and I think we nailed it for the most part. Um, but I think those descriptions are meant to uh, be in, sort of engaging. Um, you know, they're not specific examples necessarily of, of reports that we've had, but, you know, they they kind of give you the gist of what we're looking for in each category. Right. And I think it help help people get outside of the box of, well, I've never seen a ghost or anything, but I did have this weird encounter on the bus once, you know, like to give people other kinds of strange experiences that they ha maybe have had that they didn't know how to categorize. So, um, yeah, I think it's to, to open it up. Mm -hmm. uh, mm, yeah, because I'm um, looking at the, for instance, looking at the mythologies category, it kind of describes uh, pre-shamanic deer cults. Um, what was, what was the, <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued by by the inclusion of that. In. And was there something in particular that led you to include that? Well, Jeremy and I, we're in a pre-shamanic deer cult, so. Right. <laughs> Although I'm questioning the use of the, the, the term shamanic at this point. Uh, we don't yeah. want to be, yeah. we don't want to be appropriate. We might change that, but yeah, no, that the whole idea behind that category is we want to, um, so we have a philosophy that, um, that we kind of call remythologizing your landscape. So mm -hmm. the idea is that, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years, um, people had mythologies that they would use to actually engage with the, the community of entities around them, trees, rocks, spirits, other people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we think that a lot of that mythologizing has been lost, particularly in our, um, culturally devoid western way of looking at things um so we yeah. want to you know we don't we don't want to be appropriative we don't want to run around and try to um, glom on to mythologies that are important to other cultures but we also think that there's value in people coming up with their own sense of mythology and and i think we would probably loosely define a myth as you know a story that gives something meaning and so right. through this project, we're hoping that people will, um, you know, come up with these stories based on the encounters that they have um, that, that sort of give their surroundings meaning and, and instill a, a deeper sense of connection with, with where they live. And, um, you know, that the paranormal has actually turned out to be like a really good way to do that because, you know, what are paranormal stories? They're stories that, that give the lives of the encounters or, you know, of the experiencers meaning and, and in a very serious way, that's, you know, that's kind of a myth. And so that's, that's kind of where the mythology category came from, but I think it applies to the whole project really. Hmm, yeah. So where you guys live in the West coast of America, do you find that people are encountering things that have been there a long time or are some of the encounters more sort of like personal to them? Rather than there being encounters where you can sort of say, well, this sounds like something from a pre-existing society where the encounter sort of fits the person rather than being relative to the area. 
Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I I mean, you know, there are, you know, like Sasquatch, for example, has a long history mm. in the area. And so, you know, we have we have sightings of those cryptids and um but then we also have you know, it's kind of a mix, I'd say. Right. Like, what do you think, Garrett? Well, I'm just thinking about like Mount Rainier and how it has kind of this reoccurring it's like different um experiences over time, but things keep happening there. Yeah. Um, yeah. From like Jeremy found this really interesting story from like eighteen ninety five of this person, Ingraham, who found like a what he called the old man of the crater. Um right. and then, you know, people are seeing bat squatch there and then flying saucers. It's it's got this this place that has like reoccurring, maybe slightly different over time experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like well um, Kenneth Kenneth Arnold, you know, in, in nineteen forty seven, mm-hmm. that was the first um, you know, flying saucer the first description of of mysterious sky thingies as flying saucers right um you know and then the maury island uh incident was also really close by here there were um you know winged humanoids reported in a town further south called chehalis Um, but they're all sort of centered around the whole you know rainier energy sphere i guess cool so do you do you think that that area with the different kinds of encounters that Hmm. people are having with different sorts of entities do you think that that means that that is, is an area that's more prone to this kind of thing? I mean, with, with the mapping project, do you think that you're going to eventually be able to identify that certain areas seem to have something about them, which, which makes it more likely that people are going to see weird things there? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely one of the things we really hope for. Um, we need a lot more entries. So, you know, to all of your listeners, please, yeah. please go to our website at liminal.earth and, and submit your story. Um, the more data we have, you know, obviously the the better it is. But yeah, I think one of the eventual goals is you know, we want to be able to have this map and people can say, oh, gosh, look at that. There are way more um, cryptid sightings in this forest or, you know, mountains have a lot of strange. Uh, and because, you know, every everybody kind of already knows when you think, you know, it's like Mount Shasta and yeah. Mount Rainier and you know, the, the volcanoes in Hawaii, that they're, they're sort of sacred, um, or, you know, holy places and set apart from, from the world. But, you know, if we have these stories, then that will give us not necessarily more evidence, but um, more insight into what kind of things people experience in what kind of places. Right, yeah. So with the project so far, when it comes to what is being reported on the map by people, has that changed your ideas about these kind of phenomena and what they might be? Garrett, what do you think? I don't think it's changed anything about my, yeah, my viewpoint. It's just what the thing about the map, I think is just, it's helped me engage in the place I live much more. Um, so I haven't, I haven't come to any conclusions or, you know, insights right. based on what's being reported, but I'm just learning so much about, you know, a place I've lived for almost 20 years and places I didn't know existed historically and that had this, like, storytelling, you know, these mythologies or folklore around them, you know. So that's been the most, you know, insightful thing so far is the way to engage with where you live. Um, But, yeah, it hasn't really, you know, if anything, it just proves that things have become, you know, there's 
this wide range of experiences that people are having that are so strange. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, um, it's kind of helped me to think of things, um, in terms of normalizing the paranormal and, uh, you know, people always think, oh, well, you know, people who have these experiences are the outliers, you know, it's only a few people and you hear the skeptics say, oh, well, you know, the evidence doesn't suggest that this is something that happens all the time. Um, but this, this map has certainly shown at least, you know, if, if you look at it that way, that it's really actually quite common for people to have strange weird, or weird or unusual experiences. Um, the, the problem is, is that, you know, in, in some cases they don't feel comfortable sharing it because they think they'll be judged or, you know, called crazy or, or whatever. And then in other cases, I think people might have had experiences that they don't realize are um, interesting or amazing or interest or unique or worth recording until they come to a map like ours. And then they'll see the other stories and they'll go, Oh, wait a second. Yeah. You know, I, I do recall this odd encounter I had with a squirrel in a park that, that was really, really, really interesting to me. <laughs> um, therefore it helped me remythologize my landscape and I'm going to put it on this map. I'm actually normal for having this, this experience. Yeah, I can see that it would help show that there are plenty of people who are experiencing weird things, and and, and the and the world is a lot weirder than than we're told that it is. Mm -hmm. With the map itself, um, do you have favorite reports that have been submitted? Is there other reports that you um, remember more than others? Oh yeah, I mean, one that sticks out to me is the sandwich from hell. <laughs> I don't know why that one yeah, that yeah, one totally. grabs me so much, but it's basically right. a person got on the bus in this kind of remote area in Seattle. There was no one waiting with them at the bus stop. And when they got on the bus, they were the only person on the bus. They went all the way to the back. And then three other people suddenly got on the bus too. And they went all the way to the back too and sat right next to the storyteller. And they're like, okay. And then they were kind of like rubbing their hands together and saying, are you ready? Are you ready? And th and she started freaking out. Like, what are, what are they talking about? Like, what are they going to rob me or something? And then they pulled out a giant Subway, or, you know, like a big sandwich. And she's like, oh, okay. They were just getting excited to eat their sandwich. <laughs> and so she's like, I'm, I'm, you know, I was overreacting. But then they opened the sandwich, and inside there are these moist towelettes, little like individually wrapped inside like the cheese and the meat that they pulled out and they opened the packages and they threw the sandwich on the ground and kicked it away. And they cleaned their jackets with the towelettes. And it's just so bizarre. Like, <laughs> it reminded me like, why yeah. it's so like, what is that? That seems so much like a, you know, like a dream. It doesn't seem like something that, you know, it, it, it goes outside of regular rational, you know, daily life. And it reminds me of some of the stories that happened in like the Mothman prophecies where things just out, you know, out mm -hmm. of whack a little bit. Cause someone coming to your house asking for salt and then you just start eating the salt, um, which was in the Mothman prophecies. So, yeah, it's just it's so bizarre. And I'm glad that person shared that story because that's kind of the the story that I'm most interested in. Like, what you know, what was that um, anyway? No, that's a, that's so weird, isn't it? Like it makes me think it's like something out of Twin Peaks. Right, exactly. Right, yeah, which exactly. of course is you know set in the Pacific Northwest. And... Yeah, 
Jeremy, how about you? Is there is there something that sticks out from the map more than anything else? Um, you know, I really like um, I like the, re- the the reportings that or the the encounters that people have had like with with animals, um, and because it's not like um, necessarily the animal is acting unusual or appearing in a strange place. It's just sometimes um, people see a deer walking down the street and they just they have this sort of amazing um feeling about that animal and it's a sort of real connection to it and you know even though it's just they saw you know if you were if you were an outside observer you might just say oh well this is they just saw a deer and it walked down the street who cares right but this is um these these experiences i'm looking at one right now you know the the energy shifted and they saw a gorgeous buck down the street and the buck ran down the street in their direction, um, which seemed odd in retrospect because he was running towards people instead of away. Uh, and the dog stayed close instead of chasing. Um, and then, you know, they went into the snow and they saw a big, a big cat paw print, you know, like a mountain lion or something like that. And and that was an encounter that they had with something that on the outside might seem very mundane, particularly to someone who lives in a rural setting. But it was so significant to them that they thought well well this is a this is an amazing experience we just had i'm going to put it on the map and i think i kind of like that that sort of things that sort of would seem mundane if you weren't um actually having the experience right yeah because i guess it would be easy to rationalize something like that wouldn't it but but you have to oh absolutely you have to at the same time i think with with things like this it's you have to kind of embrace that you noticed that it was unusual it's it struck you as being unusual, and mm-hmm. so you. And um, sometimes you, I think you, people can be encouraged to immediately look for the most rational explanation about what happened, which is fine, I guess. But at the same time, with the things that get reported on your map, it seems like they are worthy of note because they were unusual enough to stay in the memory, right, of someone, and that's what's important. Yeah. We we don't seek to, you know, we get asked all the time, you know, do you believe this or. How do you determine whether these are true? And we do a little bit of vetting. I mean, we don't, you know, we we don't want anything, you know, obscene or offensive. We don't want people, you know, posting personal information about other people or addresses, right. you know, to send all these people to people's houses. We don't want that. Um, but beyond that, you know, we tend to just trust that, you know, this this was an important occurrence for the person who's reporting it. And therefore, we will honor that and put it on the map. And whether or not that is, quote, true or untrue is not really that significant to us. That's very fair. I, actually, I, I submitted something to the map a little while ago myself. It was, um, Ooh. It was a, a time slip. So it was I was on a train a few years ago. And, oh, yeah. and the train, I'm sure that the train stopped in the same station twice. And mm. I, I keep thinking about it, whether I was wrong. I, and it's the last. it was the last station before I... The station I was due to get off at, so I'm I'm pretty convinced that it was it did do that. But whenever I think about it, I think I must have just got confused. Something must have happened, and I got confused. But then I keep <laughs> thinking about it. Well, I'm sure that I did, did go to that station twice. And interestingly, there are a couple of other cases of time slips, and it seems to be when people are traveling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's kind of cool. That's you know, you can go on to our our site and look up time slips and and find people who have had similar experiences. Yeah, so with something like that, do you, I mean, it seems like I've been able to use the map to find a sort of a commonality there. Do you, do you think 
with something like time slips, it, it is there is a relationship between the the experience and the and the situation because I mean those three seem to happen while people were traveling. They were going on a journey and it and it didn't take as long as it, they thought it would, or something weird happened. Mm-hmm. Do you think with with things like that, what what's happening is is it's perhaps something to do with how the mind works, or or it, or could it really be something else, something more just straight up weird? Hmm. Well, Garrett's experienced uh, some time anomalies, so right. Um, Temp- temporal anomalies. <laughs> I did have an experience where I I was cooking dinner in my house, and I I saw something in the corner of my eye, and I looked up, and there was something there, and I thought it was you know like a ghost, but it it actually looked like me um, looking at myself, um, and wow. it was just like a flash, so. <laughs> And that, that, around the same time, my friend uh, Jake found a letter in a suitcase in the Central District of Seattle that says, thank you for believing in time travel. Please write back, Jared. Um, so I was having like the, all this time travel kind of uh, experiences at the time. But yeah, I don't I don't know what any of that is. I don't I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, the the time slipping. Jeremy and I the other day were. A reporter from the Seattle Times said, "Go look under this uh, underpass in here in Bremerton. There's weird energy there." So we went there and we didn't really feel anything. But when we walked back, uh, there was another person with with us. We all experienced an, uh, like a a, t- a time slip. Like a, that's uh, right. Yeah, it seemed, yeah, we haven't added that to the map yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we it took. It felt like it took a long time to get there from our car, and then on the way back, we were like instantly back to our car, and we we're like, okay, that mm-hmm. was weird, um, and we all felt it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't trying to figure out what that was exactly. I have no, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, you no. know, I think that, um, you know, um, who was it who I was listening to the other day? Oh, I think it was John Tenney. Um, who was saying, you know, reality isn't necessarily as um, solid as we think it is, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think that's yeah. about as, as that's about the as far as I'm willing to go with, you know, what the actual what's actually going on personally. Um, I love hearing different theories. Like I could sit and listen to theories and talk about them all day. Um, but I don't know. I, I I don't know that I've come down on on one particular other than like reality isn't as solid as, as most people think it is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, I'm. I completely agree. I I think that's the thing that you got to realize with fourteen phenomena is that you know when you try and come down one way or another on what something is, you, there's there's an assumption there that that the reality is fixed, and you can and you can place that phenomena in some sort of framework. But if, if reality isn't sort of fixed, if it's malleable, then it's it's really hard to pin down what something might be. And also, a lot of encounters tend to be somebody by themselves it's it's a very subjective experience isn't it mm-hmm. yeah that's that's very true yeah there were there are some cases there's a couple of cases where um on the on the map where multiple people have experienced it but hmm. um you know even then i mean it, just because a bunch of people see it instead of one person <laughs> i mean that, that that doesn't necessarily fill in all of the blanks you know right yeah <clears throat> It's interesting you mentioned John Tenney as well because he's he submitted something to the map, hasn't he? He did. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. A weird incident at a diner. Yeah. So he was. Yeah, let's see. He, he was um he was stuck in the town basically for a couple of days because he had a car accident. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so he went while he was stuck in this town. He uh, he would go to this diner. But then when things were when his car was fixed, and he wanted to go back. I think he wanted to go back one last time. He couldn't find it. Right. And that's that's a sort of a, a classic sort of case, isn't it? I mean, I guess that's sort of, I don't know what that is, whether it's a time slip or, or something, but I've, I've read other people report encounters like that, they'll, that they'll stop somewhere um, and go and, mm-hmm. and you know, go into this building and fully experience it and then try and find it again. And mm-hmm. it'll be, I don't know, it was burnt down years ago or something. It's very weird. Yeah. It makes you wonder, like, how many of these things are actually time slips? Maybe, maybe when, you know, you're, you've, see a Bigfoot, you're, um, you're slipping back into time and seeing, you know, uh, an early human or, you know, the, the Loch Ness monster, you're, you're slipping back into time and seeing a, you know, yeah. I think, I think the Loch Ness monster, I know that, that, um, a lot of people, um, are already on the, the Bigfoot is a ghost, um, train, which is fantastic. But I also think, you know, what if the Loch Ness monster is also a ghost? What, what if the, you know, sea serpents are accurate, you know, giant lake monsters, we're seeing, you know, the spirits of, prehistoric creatures i don't know you can go off on all kinds of tangents in this which is why it's so fun <laughs> yeah i mean i i i, I think that those ideas are they're very interesting aren't they i i mean i i i know for a fact that alistair crowley he had a house on the shores of loch ness and some people think that mm-hmm. that he conjured some sort of entity and that's what people see <laughs> um so you know there's all sorts of ideas aren't there for these things just um what do you guys think of the Going back to Bigfoot, what do you guys think of the Patterson Gimlin footage? I want to believe. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's so cool and it's so clear and it's very, you know, I, I just, I, I personally want to believe in it enough that I'm, I'm a, I'm a supporter of it, you know. Yeah. It, it just, it just seems so like it would be so hard to. I mean, it should also go without saying that. If somebody really wants to do an elaborate hoax, then they'll find a way to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. You know, I, what do you think of it, Garrett? I'm, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, and debunking stuff's just not my. I'm terrible at it, anyways. So I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd rather it's more fun to believe. So that's what I'm. I'm a. Uh, that's where I am. Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, what, the way I see it is that I mean, I'm with you guys. I I want it to be the footage of a Bigfoot, but even if it's a costume, that costume is really, really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Absolutely. It makes our world better to have that in, in the world, you know, that someone did that, if that's all fake. So, Yeah, exactly. And I think that footage was filmed in 1967 and Planet of the Apes came out a year after and people have said, well, mm-hmm. this Bigfoot costume, the, ape, the the Bigfoot in that film looks way more convincing than... <laughs> You know the right. the apes in Planet of the Apes. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. if someone did if someone did make this suit, then it's an it's an incredible suit. And they've done an analysis of the gait of the person walking, and they've tended to go with. If it is somebody in a suit, then it's it's weird that they've been able to do that. So even if it was a fake, that's almost as weird as if it's a living Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's like we were we were talking about this the other day too, and you know, with with this is a good example. We know that it's either true it's, that it's a Sasquatch or it's false and it's false. And so, you know, we already know that it's one of those two things. So the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, how does that impact us personally? Like, how does that contribute to your overall sense of well-being in the world? Right. You know? Or give you meaning. 
Well, like to me, you know, I, it, it's not going to, the, the world's not going to end if I find out that Patterson Gimlin film is a hoax. Um, but yeah, I, I also think that it's like, like Garrett said, it's way more fun to, to believe it. So. Yeah. And that's, having stuff that's right there on the edge of being mundane or this mystery. So you can kind of, you know, you can kind of tap in there and play around with your mind and kind of like take, look at things that you take for granted and reconsider them, but you could also safely back out of it um, and come back to a rational world. It's just fun to play on the edge all the time and to kind of mm-hmm. go out in the world and, you know, interact with things and kind of like, you know, mix it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, there's so many, it just gives you new ways of looking at things. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like I had an experience, um, back to the mundane, like where we were walking in Ballard with my friend and he was, there's a, actually a little video cause we were filming ourselves and he was talking about like, Oh, I really need to like change my life. I need to like start over. And like, right as he said that we saw this dead cat um, in the grass and there was a car facing it with the lights on, on the car, but no one was in the car and the lights were like illuminating the cat and it was raining and we're just like, what is this scene we've just happened upon? You know, and we, and it's like, you can make all these like rational mundane ex- explanations for this, but it's also fun to, you know, at the time when he was, what he was talking about and like cats having nine lives and restarting and, you know, it's just like to engage your world that way and like use what's happening around you to like inform your life. And, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just kind of fun. I mean, dead cats are not fun necessarily, but I think you know. Right. <laughs> I hope you know what I mean. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's good to. Um, I, I think what is good about this project that you guys are doing is that it allows people to, like we were talking about a bit earlier, and allows people to engage with with the weirdness of their lives. And you know, like you were saying before, um, mm-hmm. Jeremy, about sort of creating a their own sort of mythology of the, of the world around them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, and where you live in Seattle, is there generally a pretty open-minded attitude to this kind of stuff? Is it something that is reported in the media? Are they, is there a sort of a, a positive attitude to these kind of things and being talked about? Uh, I mean, you know, there's always the, there was a, there was actually, there was a, you know, hunting for Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest uh, segment on one of the local media channels very recently i think last week or something like that um and you know it's probably pretty typical pretty standard for what you'd find in local media anywhere like yeah what will we we're going out do you believe in bigfoot you know if you do (laughs) then you know we're gonna go out with some hunters and you know it's kind of like semi-serious but on the ground um there's a lot happening right now you know we we have friends who are hedge witches and we have um we we participate in there's a a paranormal themed music festival that the third one's going to be happening soon and we're going to be participating in that and um you know there's a flying saucer party coming up in september that we're going to be uh hanging out at as well and so there's there's a lot kind of going on on the ground out here i don't know if it's more or less than any place else because i don't live any place else but you know there's definitely you can find a lot of support Awesome. I mean, it, it seems like you live in a great area for people to 
uh, engaging engage with other people in these uh, who are interested in these ideas and I, I think that can help kind of if you meet if you meet someone who shares that interest then you, you feel like you can it's great to have someone who took to talk to who's interested in the same mm-hmm. things as you which is a, kind of an obvious statement I guess but I mean I, I know since I started doing the podcast I've met more people who are interested in the subjects that I talk about and, and it's great because I mean I have yeah, my friends don't hate it or anything, but most of my friends aren't particularly interested in it. So, mm-hmm. so whenever they ask me what I've been up to, I'll, I'll tell them that I don't know, been reading about Gnosticism or something, and it, <laughs> but it doesn't really. <laughs> that conversation just kind of stops at that point, um, because because <laughs> yeah. I take about ten minutes to explain what I've been doing, and it's you know you want to get back to the regular sort of hanging out, but it's it's great to um, to be able to kind of interact with other people who who are into, into weird stuff and. I, th- I think your your project is a great way for that to happen. Well, thank you. So, what's the future for the map? And thanks for your submission. <laughs> oh yeah, you're, you're very welcome. So, the the map project itself, what do you have planned for it going forward? Well, we uh, we've been making a ton of zines, um, and we're hoping to do some maybe like uh, live events where we take people out to places. Um, um, you know, on walks through places. Oh, cool. um, so that's some of the stuff we're like thinking about. We're also thinking about uh, doing a podcast and um, yeah, it's been su- super fun. I mean, Jeremy and I like to just look up old newspaper <laughs> articles and find more things and go explore places. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I don't know. What else do we have planned, Jeremy? Do we- well, we have like, a, we have a thousand things planned. Yeah, I, I know. think it's, a, you know, we, we, we kind of tend to be the, the kind of people who, you know, whatever idea we come up with at the moment, we entertain it. And then eventually one of them will stick. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, you know, we have, um, we have our Patreon and, um, you know, we, we've talked about um, printing out like guidebooks, you know, kind of for, for people to various areas. We have an ambassador program that we're trying to get off the ground. So people from other areas of the world can sort of adopt their area and try and sort of generate interest and stories and that kind of thing. Um, we are getting together other ways that we can sort of um, provide like liminal tools, I guess is one way to put it to people, which is, uh, you know, like dowsing rods and, um, you know, fun potions and, little things like that. And then um, we're also really into, interestingly enough, we're really into plants. So, you know, wild plants and foraging and and plant magic and and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, So we might explore even doing, you know, liminal plant walks locally in the area. I don't know, man, any of those. Pick one and we'll see if it happens. (laughs) (laughs) No, they they all sound fantastic. I actually, Jeremy, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because you're you're into permaculture aren't you and I you mm-hmm. um you're an animist as well and and just going back to what you were talking there about plant magic um mm-hmm. how, how did you get did you get into permaculture through the your interest in the paranormal or did, would they sort of just happen at the same time or is that what it seems like there is a connection there i'm just interested in in how that sort of happened for you yeah um so you know i, I actually grew up on an orange farm in florida um, so I always kind of had uh, a connection to growing things and, you know, gardening and all of that. Um, and, you know, when we, when I moved out to Seattle, I, you know, finally had a place with a yard and and had my own garden and, and was growing things. And um, in the process of, of getting rid of, of dandelions, 
um, you know, I knew nothing about any of the the permaculture wild plant stuff at the time, but I was digging up these because I do it all organic, no chemicals. So I was digging out all these dandelions and they have these massive roots. And I was thinking there must be something you can use this for, right? So I started looking into it. Um, and I, you know, I always tell people that, that getting into dandelions was like the gateway drug for me, getting into <laughs> So, you know, I so I, I really started getting into to foraging and wild plants. And um, then I saw this, this permaculture tree. So it's fairly fairly mundane as far as how I got into um, with, but the more into it I got, the more I studied plants and worked with plants. I worked with the community of entities that's required for plants to coexist with us. Um, the more into you know animism I got, and the more into connecting with the landscape and you know land spirits and using plants for you know. Um, Edibly and medicinally, but also uh, you know, spiritually, and you know, get really looking into the the herbal traditions of you know what different people use for, and John's wort being used for um, protection uh, by hanging sprigs over the door, um, but you know also the the obvious the medicinal properties of Saint John's wort and that kind of thing. It's just very fascinating, and. Um, the connection, you know, I've actually, it's funny because I'm planning to write a big piece on this, but since you asked, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that learning, um, about the plants that grow in your area, particularly in the context of foraging and wildcrafting, whether it be for edible plants or medicinal plants is very similar to, um, the way that we encounter, uh, and understand, uh, the paranormal. Because it opens the door to this new perspective. It's almost like gnosis, right? Yeah. So you all of a sudden you start seeing the world completely differently everywhere you go. You're never bored if you're into learning about wild plants. Yeah. And you know, you walk out the door and all of a sudden you realize that what this reality that you've been seeing for so long, um, there's a lot more to it. All of these plants have different um behaviors. And because I'm not just into the way that we can use them, I'm also into how they grow. Um, how they interact with each other, how they interact with us and the animals and the soil. And it's just this insane sense of interconnectedness that you get. Um, and then the more you learn about them and the more you learn about using them, um, it, it kind of makes it, you know, it's like a, it's like, it's a snowball effect, the more into them you get. Um, and then as far as um, permaculture, so I'm not sure how familiar you are with the the process of permaculture i know the basics i think but yeah so you know it's a for, for the those who might not know it um it's permanent agriculture it's a holistic landscape design system where instead of just um sticking a bunch of plants in a yard you would sort of look at all of the the energies that go through the yard like not not in the woo sense but mm. you know in the where's the wind wind coming from where how does the water flow um, what's the soil like? Um, who's going to be using it? And what's the best way? What is the way that you can make the most um, holistic, sort of self-contained system that will um, that will last with the least amount of work from you? Right. So it's a lot of work at the beginning, and hopefully you're creating this um, this system that will sustain itself. But part of that is a very detailed landscape analysis. And what I really would like to do is see this idea of detailed landscape analysis, where you look at the wind and the weather and the sun and the shade and what plants are there and, and apply that sort of um, 
detail to like investigating these paranormal sites. So when people, you know, so report something to the map, you know, going out and doing this like very detailed site analysis and saying, oh, well, you know, there's a lot of um, oak trees in this area. And it's interesting because someone else has reported this other thing and there's a lot of oak trees in that area too. I wonder if there's a connection. So uh, anyhow, you know, I could, I could go on for hours about this, obviously, <laughs> but um, those are some of the connections that, that I kind of glom onto. Right. Okay. One thing I was going to ask as well is that at the moment, the idea of plant consciousness is, 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 is a popular topic in, in this kind of area. Mm. And what do you think about that and, and that, that idea? Um, I think it's it's kind of I think it's ludicrous and and very um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost more anthropocentric to me to say that plants don't have consciousness, right? Because what we are saying when we say that is that plants don't have human consciousness. Hmm. But I think that um, plants do have a certain amount of consciousness, and you know, I, I, there's there's if you ask twenty different people the question will get to many different answers um but the fact is that they communicate with each other um they use you know chemicals to warn each other when predators are there um there, there, there are some plants like pepper plants don't like to touch each other if they're too close together and they're touching each other um pepper plants will actually extrude uh, exude something in their roots that will kill the ones in between the ones that are touching so they don't have to touch each other anymore i mean there's all this and then the, the relationship between plants and, and fungi, too. Um, the mycelial network and, and Paul Stamets, some of your listeners might be familiar with him. Yeah. And they're finding out that, you know, there's this there's this giant network of, of fungal communication lines, like nerves that goes underneath the forest. And the plants can actually use um, chemicals and, and other, uh, you know, sugars and enzymes to communicate with each other under this. Um, and it's just that, again, the more you look into it, th there is a consciousness there. Absolutely. And, and to say otherwise, I think is, um, I, I almost think it's dangerous, to be yeah. honest. I think the idea that, you know, we're so divorced from the world of plants and plant consciousness is one of the, one of the main reasons we're in this mess that we're in right now, because people, their worldview of plants as dumb things that you can use as opposed to members of a community, um, you know, kind of led us in many ways, I think, that worldview to, to where we are with climate change and global warming and soil depletion and everything, all the other horrible things that are happening in the world. Yeah, I, I think you're right there. It's interesting that one, one thing I've been reading about recently is that they found a, a type of soil in South America called Terra Preta. And this is a very old. This is a very old technology. Basically, it's it's it's, from, it's a couple of thousand years old, I think, and, mm -hmm. and it comes from a time yeah. that that I think that you're talking about. The, the people um, lived more in balance with the world around them and the and the plant life mm -hmm. around them, and they knew how to work with plants to to help them grow and and feed themselves. And it seems like mm -hmm. permaculture seems to be a way of reclaiming some some lost knowledge almost. Yeah, well, the um, the originators of permaculture, um, they they were Tasmanian, or the main the, the guy who um, one of the first guys who came up with with it, and yeah. they used they relied a lot on indigenous knowledge, um, and admittedly so, um, you know, they, they to their credit they, you know, said, well, this is all indigenous knowledge. This isn't anything that that's new. So Bill Mollison was the guy's name, and mm -hmm. 
you know, the Aboriginal cultures down there, he, he learned a lot from them. So, you know, yeah, it is, it's, it's lost knowledge or, um, I don't know, uh, who's to say, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And I suppose with the paranormal as well, a lot of, a lot of the encounters people are having, it's more that they're experiencing something that they're not encouraged to engage with. They haven't been anyway. Modern society doesn't really encourage you to en- mm-hmm. engage with the weird stuff. There's, we live in a kind of a relatively materialistic world. And mm-hmm. and, and I guess that in, with these encounters that the people that submit them onto your map they they have, it's in, in another way that they're, they're, I guess it's almost like a way for them to reclaim a way to engage with the world and see it and see it through their own sort of subjective way. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Garrett? Because Garrett's actually, he's in an enviable position to me. He's like, get into the, the weeds, as it were, of, of getting into plants and gardening and foraging and stuff. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I've just started. And it's mostly because going around with Jeremy to cemeteries and he's picking through weeds and tasting things. <laughs> um, I, I joke that he just goes on those trips to eat, but, uh, no, no, not, but nothing that grows out of a grave, right? <laughs> nothing that grows out of a grave. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've just started, you know, and I, there has been some weird experiences with that where I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I see a plant. And I'm like, I feel like that is a, you know, whatever it is. And I, I just have like a weird connection. And Jeremy's like, I think it's like you're, you know, the veil's being lifted a little bit and you're, you're, you've been blind to this and uh, now you're seeing this, you know, thing that's been in front of you the whole time. Um, yeah, that, just the other day I was driving and now that I know what St. John's wort looks like, I'm, it's kind of distracting because I'm constantly looking on the side of the road as I'm driving and it's like, is that it? Is that it? <laughs> and the other day I saw a giant uh, mullein. And it really felt like a hitchhiker, like, you know, it's so big and it looked like it was trying to like, you know, stop and pick me up, you know, like uh, it really felt like it was trying to reach out to me. Um, so, yeah, right now I'm in this like, what is, you know, everything I'm looking with new eyes, um, things that I just haven't paid attention to. And it's, I think it's similar to the, you know, the way the map is, is just kind of when we go out to like go on our quests we're using this map, like, let's go, you know, someone had an experience here, let's go check it out. We're kind of keeping our eyes very open and, you know, seeing a place that maybe I've walked by a million times, but never knew that there was this, you know, a paranormal association with it. So. Yeah. Right. That's really cool. Yeah, I like. I think that is one thing, you know, for a long time, my friends and I would do this thing where we'd go out and we'd do these, what we call mystical journeys. And we'd be like, okay, tonight we're going to go walk around all night and we're going to, we, and, you know, have this intention that something strange is going to happen. And what, what, what we encounter is, you know, there for meaning or some purpose and mm. weird things would always happen, you know, we'd, or, or we'd kind of create what those things are, you know, we, we'd, uh, make up why that was happening and. And it was really, it's just like a fun way of looking at the world when you go out and do that. Jeremy and I had, we just went looking for the Screaming Well the other day, Mm -hmm. which is this supposed well in the South Seattle area. And uh, supposedly if you put your ear up to the well, you hear this, these screaming voices, but no one knows where it is. So we, we went out and we've been searching for this um, with that kind of intention 
and we didn't find anything the last time we went, but when we came out, um, out of, we were in this, the Black River Riparian Forest. We're thinking it might be around there. We came out of the forest and there is this man uh, leaning against a silver car and he had these goggles on with antenna out of the, the goggles. And, <laughs> and I, Jeremy and I were like, what? Who is this person? And he, yeah. he, he looked like Doc Brown from um, uh, Back to the Future. Yeah, you know? yeah. And he like lifted his goggles and he said, hey guys, want to go flying with me? And I was like, <laughs> we're like, what? <laughs> and he like lifted, he opened his trunk and he pulled out all these goggles. We had our kids with us and we put all these goggles on and he flew this drone all around the sky. And as we're wearing the goggles, we see through the eye, uh, the camera in the, in the drone as it's going. Um, and it, it, you know, it's kind of one of those, again, like a, a mundane experience, but it, if you think about it, it's like, you know, this man at the edge of the forest who takes you to another world and you makes you fly, yeah. and, you know, it's like a modern manifestation of this like elf, you know, uh, fairy experience. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like yeah. right out of I mean, had, Jacques Vallée. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had all those goggles as well. It's weird that he had, he had yeah. like, he had four extra pairs of goggles. <laughs> like why? That doesn't mean. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, we were talking with Tim, our friend Tim, the other day. And he was like, "Yeah, like if if some, you know, entity or you know other force needed to manifest in a modern way for us to understand or see it, you know, this is how it would be. It would be you know this guy taking you in a drone ride, um, right? Instead yeah. of it wouldn't be an elf or you know it would be a drone dude. So." Yeah, it's like yeah. Um, witches meeting the uh, a strange man at the crossroads who gives them the power of flight, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was It was really fun. Oh, it was totally amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sounds it. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. Yeah, oh yeah, thank, thank you. you for having us. It's super been super fun. Cool. So, if people want to add their strange encounters onto the map how do they best do that so just visit liminal.earth and that's the whole they just type liminal.earth into your into your bar um and then you'll see the the map there and then yep. there's a, a link under the map that says click here to add your story and that's it you could also go to liminal.earth slash submit cool and you guys uh, how do they find you well, well um oh go ahead Oh, we're just, we have, well, I also have a Twitter account, which is Liminal Seattle, because that's how we started. And right. that's the main way you could reach us. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Or we have like a Facebook group, same Liminal Seattle, Liminal Earth. Um, yeah. Uh, we also have a Patreon, um, you know, where, where we have a lot of levels, a lot of tiers. Uh, we have a, we have an organization that we, um, Call ourselves, which is the Society for Liminal Cartography, um, and on our Patreon you can become a member. Um, it's only a dollar to become a member. Um, we have different tier levels, though. You know, the you know one level you get zines and that kind of stuff. But but if you just want to sign up and get like exclusive content and and uh, help us out and and be part of something fun, then you know it's uh, Patreon.com/liminalmaps, and uh, yeah, just one one hmm. one American dollar. <laughs> oh, it's great value. Wonderful. <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, thanks, guys. I'll make sure to put all that information in the show notes. Great.
Yeah, thank you. Well, there you have it. Everything you wanted to know about liminal cartography, but were afraid to ask. To be honest, I'm not sure that all of my questions were as adept as I'd hoped. Sometimes I struggled to get my words out, and other times I just get my words wrong. I have to admit, I often get nervous before an interview, but I like to think that I still did an okay job this time. Anyway, despite all that, I think Garrett and Jeremy talk really well about their interest in the paranormal, and what inspired them to start the Liminal Earth project. It's something that can only ever get better with the more experiences that are added. In my own case, with my experience of a time slip, it was a chance to record something that I hadn't really told any of my friends about because I was sure that they would just say I was imagining it. So the map is a sort of judgment-free environment for you to record these kind of things. If you've experienced something weird, I encourage you to check out the map as you'll be helping to make it a more useful resource. There's also a Patreon page too, if you want to support Garrett and Jeremy in their efforts. Well, that's pretty much it for now. To contact me at Sphere HQ about this episode, or with any ideas for future subjects, or suggestions for guests, please email someothersphere at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and most other podcast listening apps, I'm guessing. You can also find the podcast on Twitter, at spherical underscore pod. Likes, ratings and reviews are very much appreciated. Thank you for listening. <laughs>